Hey, you're about to hear a great word from our teaching team. At Freedom House, we're about equipping you to experience Christ's freedom every day. We would love to connect with you. We stream our live services Sundays at 10.30 and 12.15 Eastern Standard Time. You can join us at freedomhouse.cc live. I hope you enjoyed this message. Somebody's excited. I like it. I like I like your energy right there. Well, my name's Olin Carter, and uh, I'm a volunteer leader here at Freedom House. Obviously, I'm on the teaching team. Uh, I also serve on the board of the church in, in various different ways. However, Pastor Troy and Penny need me. And, uh, you know, it's just it's an honor to be up here. Um, I was talking to somebody last week and serving somewhere and uh, talking to one of the ladies of the church, and she said, when are you preaching again? And I said, well, I'm going to preach next week. And we just got talking about the teaching team that we have. And I said, you know, isn't it amazing that Pastor Troy empowers the people in our church to, to rise up to another level of leadership? And she looked at me and smiled, and she said, you know, a lot of pastors won't do that. A lot of pastors aren't secure enough to do that. And, you know, we've got some great leaders here, Pastor Troy and Penny. So thank you for the honor to be up here and uh, excited to be with you guys today talking about this uh, awesome series, House Party. You guys having fun? Anybody had some house parties? Yeah? Yeah? I got a, I got a, a public service announcement I want to share with you. How many of you were able to come out to the serve day? Yeah? Had a good time at the serve That was a house party all in of itself. Well, I got a public service announcement. Um, if you ever go to a serve day, do not, do not, guys, try to keep up with a former NFL player. Um, I, I somehow got paired out there with Justin Griffith. And as a man, you know, I couldn't let go of my pride. So, you know, I'm shoveling and I'm like, <laughs> and I'm looking over at Justin and he's like, just going, you know, and I'm like, okay, I got you, I got you, I'm going to make it. And so about halfway through the day, I was about to die. So if, if you ever serve, just stay away from Justin Griffith because he will kill you, okay? Just don't even try to do it. Don't even try to do it. So I'll tell you a little bit, those of you who don't know me, again, my name's Olin Carter. Married to my beautiful wife, Tammy, sitting up here on the front row. She's not standing up. If I try to make her, she'll throw a shoe at me or something. She doesn't, she doesn't like that. But my, my mother is here as well. Yeah. And my mother, those of you who might not know her, she has a ninth degree black belt in worrying. She holds, she holds two world records. Um, as a kid, I would be leaving to go to, to school or work or whatever growing up. She would run out the front door and stop me. Stop, 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 stop. Yeah, Mom, I, I'm in a hurry. I got to go. She's, um, uh, there's been a lot of police officers lately in the neighborhood, so just be careful. Be careful, son. That was every day of my life. But you know what? That's a good mama. Can I get an amen? That's a good mama. She, she worries about me because she loves me. So I got, I got a great mom. I got two, two great kids there in a the children's church, and they love it here, love to serve here in the house. So everything's good. But hey, I got to level with you today. Um, this might not be one of those like rah, rah, hallelujah services, Okay. Um, I tried, and, and I got to apologize, I tried to get out of preaching this message. I argued with God until I was blue in the face. But, but this is what God wanted me to share with you. Is that going to be okay? All right. I just want to get your buy-in, okay, because I'm, I'm going to be stepping on some toes today. But listen, I am preaching to me. Can I get an amen? I'm preaching to me. I struggle with this, and man, God has been dealing with me in this message and preparing for this message and showing me things 
But let me tell you something. I'm about to tackle something that in America, as, as our culture goes, man, this is a sacred cow. This is something that Americans, let me tell you, we hold this dear. We hold this dear. And the message today, the title of my message is called An Inconvenient Truth. Now, don't worry. I'm not going to talk about global warming. It's okay. But so if eight of you got that. But, but it's an inconvenient truth. You know, as Americans, we really, really, really love our convenience. Yes? Do you raise your hand if you love your conveniences? I love my conveniences. You know, one of the most inconvenient things in the world is having lunch after church on Sundays. Because we always go out with a group of friends. So there's always six, seven people. Yeah, you've come today. Have at it. And, and yeah, we don't turn anybody away. So we always have a group of friends. And how many of you have ever had this before? We're leaving. We're ready to go eat. Everybody's hungry. And my sister, she's looking at me like, yeah, I know where he's going with this. And everybody's like, where do you want to go? I don't know. Where do you want to go? Well, I don't, I just, I prefer you. Well, no, I prefer you. Well, where do you want to go? And, and after about nine, where do you want to go? I'm just like, somebody pick a place, right? Like, I'm dying here. I just want to eat. Let's go to Wendy's. Let's just pick somewhere, right? So inconvenient. But you know, in America, we're addicted to convenience. I, I looked up something the other day weird conveniences we have in America. Do you know that we have a funeral parlor drive through <laughs> California, we have a funeral parlor drive through I kid you not. There is an emergency room drive through That's kind of scary, isn't it? I don't know that I want to sign up for that one. And there, of course, in Las Vegas, you've got a wedding drive through right? Nothing says love more like, would you like some fries with that? <laughs> right? So we are addicted to our convenience, right? But you know what? Some things in life are not meant to be convenient. Do I have any parents in the house today? Can you testify, hey, raising kids is not convenient. Every mama in here is like, amen to that. Because they don't get on your schedule. They don't care if you got to be at work at a certain time. I remember one time I dropped my wife off. She had jury duty, and I had my son in the back seat, and he has a little motion sickness thing. And as a dad, you know, I'm just like, ah, it'll be fine. Tammy's like, I'm telling you, drive slow. Don't give him anything to eat. Ah, it'll be fine. We're going down I-85, coming home after I dropped her off, and next thing I hear, Dad, I don't feel so good. Next thing, hey, he didn't care what my schedule was. That we had a mess. And as a helpless dad, I didn't know what to do. I'm pulling over at the, dry, you know, at, the, at the Bojangles, getting napkins and trying to, you know what I mean? Kids don't care about our convenience, do they? But you know what? Raising our kids right is worth it. Staying in shape, right? Staying in shape is not convenient. That's why I don't do it. <laughs> it's, 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 I, it's, it doesn't fit into my schedule. I just, you know, I could be watching a ball game. Every, every time I go to the gym and I'm working out, I'm thinking, I could be eating right now. I mean, what, what, I don't get this. I, this is not convenient. This does not fit me. And the, the last thing, and, and I'm a numbers guy. I do mortgages for a living. Yeah, I'm a numbers person. Is budgeting. Oh, don't you dread budgeting? If you like budgeting, you're a geek, okay? Spreadsheets and budgeting, I mean, it's like, bleh. But you know what? If you don't make it a priority, pretty soon you will be broke. And so you know what? 
Raising our kids, not convenient. Staying in shape, not convenient. Budgeting, not convenient. But they're important. And this, if you don't remember anything else from what I want to talk to you about today, write this down, remember this. If being a Christian for you is convenient, you're doing it wrong. If being a Christian for you is convenient, you're doing it wrong. As Americans, we can make anything convenient. And so often we try, I know I find myself all the time, trying to make my Christianity convenient. I want to fit Jesus into my schedule. But let me tell you something. Sometimes as Americans, we're driving down the road, we see Jesus, and we're like, Jesus is cool. I'm a Christian. I love Jesus. Let's bring Jesus to the party. And so we, get, we, we, we kind of pull over. Hey, Jesus. Hey, Jesus, won't you come on in? Hop in the back. We're, we're going over to so-and-so's house. We want to invite you along. And here's the problem with that, Americans, and I'm talking to me. Jesus will not get in the back seat. He won't get in the passenger seat. No, you've got to pull that car over. You've got to put it in park. You've got to take the keys out of the ignition. You have to get out of the car, and you've got to say, Here, Lord Jesus, I'd like you to drive. Our job as Christians is to go where Jesus is going. When I was a young believer, I started uh, working at my church many years ago, and, and I was very fortunate um, to to form a bond with a man who to this day I call him dad and for those of you who've heard my testimony before I didn't have a great relationship with my father during my teenage years he, he was struggling with alcoholism I didn't really have a father figure and so pastor his name's pastor Derry Jolly he became my father and I would go out to the church every day and I would just show up at his house I would show up at his house he would open his front door at eight something in the morning I'd be standing there hey and he's like, oh, you again. He couldn't shake me, you know. Wherever he went, I went. But you know what? If I showed up late, guess what he did? He left me. Yeah. And some of you are like, well, that's mean. No. That's how a man teaches a man how to be on time. When, when I showed up late, he didn't care if I had been working the night before till 3 in the morning. No, this is the time I go. You need to be here. Period. I would follow him around, and guess what? Whatever Pastor Derry was doing, whether he was ripping out a toilet, a lot of fun. I remember our church flooded one time, and we had to dig this four-foot-deep trench going out to the street and pour concrete. Guess who dug the trench? I'm out there with a shovel. We're pouring cement. Whatever Pastor Derry was doing, that's what Olin was going to be doing, right? Guess what? When you're a follower of Jesus... Whatever Jesus is doing, guess what Olin's doing? Jesus is not going to come around with you and hang out and get on your schedule, right? That's what we would like him to do as Americans. But no, Jesus says, come and walk with me. What did he tell the disciples? Come and walk with me. Follow me. And when we begin to live our lives every day following after Jesus, guess what? Whatever Jesus is doing, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to be following after him, but it's not convenient. I heard a pastor say once that the Christian life is not a changed life, it's an exchanged life. He's not called us to tweak our habits a little bit. He's not called us to, you know, to be a little different, be a little nicer. Well, I go to church on Sunday, so, you know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a slightly nicer person now. 
When people cut me off in traffic, I don't flip them the bird anymore. I, I cuss them out kind of under my breath. <laughs> I used to run them off the road, and now I don't, you know? Like, it's not behavior modification, right? It's not a self-help. This isn't a self-help group. It's an exchanged life. It's I'm no longer Olin. I'm now Jesus living through Olin Carter's life. It's no longer I that lives, but it's Jesus that lives in me. I can't be me anymore. I've got to let him be him through me. I've got to decrease so that he can what? He can increase. And so what does that look like in the New Testament church? Well, let's read it. And I don't want you to take my word for it. Let's go to the, the Word of God. And this is Acts chapter 2. And we're reading verses 42 through four, uh, 47. This is in the New Living Translation. And this is what the believers did, okay? Jesus has just died. He rose. And this is the first group of believers you see here. In verse 42, all the believers, and what does that word say? Devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, and to sharing in meals. Now, we like that one. That one's good, right? Share some meals. Including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped, say worship. Together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Does that sound convenient to you? That's not convenient, but it's powerful. True fellowship is not convenient. But here's the problem. In, in our culture today, we have a different idea of what fellowship really means. You see, in English, when we say fellowship, we think camaraderie, right? We think buddies. Hey, let's go hang out at the, the, the sports bar and watch a ball game. As long as you're watching the ball game I'm interested in. Come over and hang out at my house as long as it's convenient with my schedule. Hey, let's go catch that movie as long as it's the movie I want to see right? And that's about as deep sometimes as some of our friendships go. But here's the thing. The New Testament word for fellowship is the word koinonia, and it's totally different. It means communion, partnership, sharing, and willing contribution. Now, I'm married, and partnership is not a casual thing, right? My wife and I are in it together, whether it's up, whether it's down, for better or for worse. I've been in a business partnership, and guess what? When you're in a business partnership, you share in the gains and in the losses. That's the New Testament image of what we are supposed to be together as a family of believers. We're supposed to be connected with each other so that when you're hurting, I'm hurting. I can't blow that off. You're my brother. You're my sister. We're partners. And too often in America, we want to make it convenient. We want to make it casual. Well, I heard they're really struggling. Where do you want to go eat today? I think she needs some prayer. Uh, uh, and she's a little talkative. I don't, really, I don't really have time right now. Amen or oh me. 
That's me sometimes, right? Because I'm so busy, sometimes I don't have time to go as deep as what the Lord would want me to go. Listen, the New Testament church was never meant to be a country club. That's why here at Freedom House, we don't have members, we have partners. Because I have a Costco membership, right? I pay my dues to Costco and I go in and I want my benefits. But how many of you know if Costco goes under, I ain't going under, right? Because I'm a member, I'm not a partner. I hope they do well because I, like I like my benefits. <laughs> but I am not partnering with, with Costco. But guess what? I'm a partner here at Freedom House Church. When I see a piece of paper on the ground, guess what? I pick it up because this is my church. And I can tell sometimes when people are thinking about maybe hanging out here because the church is kind of cool and when it's my church. Because when you listen to people say Freedom House, how do they say it? Do you, when you say Freedom House, is that the church, their church, the church, or is that my church? See, I'm a partner here. This is my church, and guess what that means? That means you're my brother, my sister. That means I, I'm committed to caring about you and doing life together with you. That means I'm committed to being involved here and going deep. So if, if true fellowship is not casual, what is it? Let's talk for just a few minutes about what true fellowship is. True fellowship, number one, if you're writing some notes down, and for those of you who are new here, Pastor Roy always says, if you take notes, you will go to heaven. That's one of the steps, okay? Note takers, go to heaven. So, so get your phone out or something, take some notes down, that's good for you. But true fellowship is intentional. Everybody say intentional. If you leave fellowship to when it is convenient, it will never happen. If you leave it to happenstance, it will never happen. You will get busy, and the early believers made it a discipline. The scripture didn't say that they met together when they had time. It didn't say they met together when it worked out. It said they devoted themselves. It was a daily devotion, a discipline to fellowship every single day. They made it a discipline. We have to be intentional about our fellowship. My Bible college teacher, he used to always tell us this, and it kind of stuck with me. He said, if the devil can't get you bad, the devil will get you busy. And if the devil can get you busy, he'll get you bad. Sometimes in my life, when I notice I'm kind of getting off the rails a little bit, I start to look at how I'm spending my time in the level of how busy I am. When I'm too busy to connect with other believers, then guess what? I'm too busy. I need pastors and leaders and, and partners, co-workers, brothers and sisters to keep me on the right track. I need you and you need me. And if I'm too busy for that, I am too busy. If you can't get in a life group, if you can't come and serve, it doesn't mean you have to do everything we do here at Freedom House Church. But if you're not connected in a meaningful way, you need to reprioritize your schedule. You need to look at your calendar and figure out what can I eliminate that is not going to impact my eternity. Because my fellowship has to be intentional. I have to prioritize it. I have to make sure that I'm not too busy for fellowship. A few practical ideas with that. Things that have been helping me and my wife lately is scheduling dinner or coffee right on the spot. You know, sometimes we have other couples that we really love and we really enjoy having dinner with or talking to, and then months and months and months pass, 
and we never do it. And we've gotten to where now sometimes we'll be talking to a couple about that. Man, we got to go out to dinner. And it's like, yeah, we've said that 57 times, right? It's like, hey, we have these amazing devices called iPhones, right? It's like, take that thing out and schedule it. Just say, hey, what are you doing next Thursday? Schedule it on the spot. Spend time with people. We, we went to dinner recently with, a, with another couple here at the church, and we just had a great time reconnecting with them. And you have to make time for that. Another thing is pray with people right on the spot. You know, in my job, I talk to people all day, every day. And, you know, I know people's social security numbers. So I always tell, I'm like a bartender or a priest. People tell me everything, okay? <laughs> so when I'm running your credit report, right, I know everything about you. So people just start telling me, you know, my sister's got cancer. My husband, and I used to always tell people in the most compassionate Christian voice I could, that is terrible. I will pray for you. And then I'd hang up the phone, I'd take the next call, right? Every once in a while, I'd write on a sticky note. I might get to it later. But that's somebody's life. That's somebody's marriage. That's somebody's sibling. That's somebody's health. And I've gotten to where now, I'll just say, hey. And I don't know if they're a Christian or not, but I'll just say, I don't know what you believe. Would you mind, can I pray with you right now? And you'd be amazed at what people will say to that. Thank you. That'd be awesome. Sometimes people in tears. We used to have a, a credit repair company um, in-house years ago, and the guy who runs it to this day, he's a pastor. And I used to go by his office all the time, and people would come out of his office just in tears. And I was like, man, you are mean. <laughs> like, their credit's not so good. Calm down. Like, it's okay. I mean, geez, they're, they're leaving and, you know, bawling. But what it was... You would go in there, and he would just be praying over them. Man, just speaking the word of God. And you know, you think, well, that's business environment. Let me tell you something. He would ask their permission, and he did it in a proper way. But, man, people would come out of there just bawling, thank you so much, giving him a big bear hug because he wasn't too busy to connect. He wasn't too busy. He made it a priority. I always learn from that. And, and, and the last practical thing, si sign up for a house party or a life group. We got a new life group launch coming out. Get connected. Do that. I know it's tough sometimes, but you know what? Get connected. You've got to be intentional about it. Number two, true fellowship. is. We know it's intentional, but here's the thing. Guys, true fellowship is risky. Everybody say risky. You've got to take a risk, man. It is scary. It is scary. I heard a pastor recently say, uh, I was listening to a thing on relationships, Pastor Chip Ingram, and he was saying that authentic relationships always start with being vulnerable. Because pride, what pride does, pride is projecting a false image of yourself that you think everyone else wants to see. But here's the problem with that. When you project a false image of yourself that's not really you, and people like that image, are they really liking you? There can be no depth of connection when there's no depth of being vulnerable, when it's all pride. When you're putting out this fake you, guess what? If they like you, they don't really like you. And the flip side of that is when you put out this fake you, if they reject you, guess what? You're insulated, right? It doesn't hurt so bad. And that's why we do it, because it's risky. We want to protect ourselves, but here's the thing. If there's no depth of rejection, there can never be depth of connection. You have to risk rejection if you ever want to connect at a deep level. And you know what that means? It means sometimes you're going to get hurt. 
Sometimes people are going to stab you in the back, and let me tell you, sometimes they'll even twist. People can be mean. People can be cruel. It's happened to me, and it's going to happen to you. But you know what? Where in life can you go where that doesn't happen? I love it when people tell me, I don't go to church because they're a bunch of hypocrites. So there's no hypocrites at your job? There's, there's no hypocrites at the movie theater, at the restaurant, at the bowling alley, at the ball game. There's no hypocrites anywhere else but at the church. Oh, so people are just not supposed to be people when they come to church. People can be people everywhere else except when they come into church. That's what you're saying. And you've never been hypocritical, right? I don't, I'm, uh, that's usually when they say, I'm, I'm leaving. I don't want to talk anymore. But you know what? You've got to be willing to take a risk. You've got to be willing to take a risk. And here's why. Here's why risk is so important. I ask God that sometimes. Like, God, why to fall in, to, to, in order to fall in love do you have to risk getting your heart broken? Why to have a great lifelong friendship do you have to risk getting rejected and stabbed in the back? Why is that, God? Here's the why. Because risk creates the opportunity for faith. If there were no risk involved, you could not use your faith. Think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Did they take a risk? We dumbed down that story. We, you know, we, we, we love our King James English, right? Thou shalt bow or the fiery furnace shall burn thee. Let me tell you something. That guy was mad. Imagine the most powerful man in the world, and you got these three punk kids in front of all your military leaders defying you to your face. You think he was calm? He was looking at them saying, let me tell you something, boy. You're going to bow right now or you're going to burn. You're going to die. You hear me? Get Stoke the fire hotter. What's it going to be? You think he was calm? That would have been terrifying. I put myself in that place and think, oh, that would have been scary. You could probably feel the heat from where they were standing. But what did they say to him? They said, you know what, king? We're not even careful to answer you in this matter. Our God is able. They put a demand on their faith and they saw a miracle. Can you think of a miracle in the Bible where risk wasn't involved? Think about Abraham. We call Abraham the father of faith. Abraham had the knife right here. My son, his name's Matthew. I don't know. I love that kid. I can't explain it. To have the knife right here. And the Bible says it's because he knew God could raise him up. The kid was a, a miracle to begin with. He said, I couldn't have a kid. I was too old. God did a miracle, so if I kill him now, I know God's able to raise him up again. That's faith. That's faith, and it takes risk. Faith is like a muscle. You have to stretch it to build it. Let me ask you a question today. Are you stretching your faith in the area of fellowship? When is the last time you connected with another person in this church in a way that scared you, that made you feel a little nervous? Man, I got to have a conversation today, and my stomach's a little queasy. If you never have an opportunity to stretch your faith, you never have an opportunity to see God do a miracle. 
It's only when we put ourselves out there with risk that we open the door for God to be God. If we want only natural relationships, that's all we're ever going to have. But I want some God relationships. I want some brothers and sisters in the Lord that I know I can count on. Matt Garrett is one man in this church that I'll tell him things that I won't always tell other people. I was at the men's breakfast. Pastor Troy was ministering, um, I think it was about a month ago. And we have a time of prayer together. And Matt Garrett grabbed me and he said, God's given me a word for you. He said, God's doing something in your life. And he said, God's given me a word for you. That's a God relationship. You know what? It's fun cutting up at work. It's fun having my buddies and talking about the Lakers and LeBron and all that's great, right? That's all fun and games, but sometimes I need somebody that's been praying for me. Sometimes I need somebody that's got my back. And I'm not going to get that staying on the surface. I'm not going to get that taking no risk. I'm not going to get that playing it safe. I've got to be willing to open myself up and be vulnerable. What does that look like? Acts chapter 4, this is verse 29 through 35. It says, And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Hear their threats. This passage of scripture, some of the apostles had been threatened by the religious leaders. They told them, we're going to beat you. We're going to imprison you. They were afraid there was going to be a riot, so they had to let them go. So they let them go, and they come back to the place with all the believers gathered together, and they begin to tell them about what was going on. And hear their, listen to this prayer. Hear their threats and give us your servants great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And after this prayer, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Man, I'd like to come to church on a Sunday in this building shake. But we're not going to get that kind of power. We're not going to get that kind of move of God unless we take a risk. I heard a pastor say recently that after 20 years of ministry, he was going to do this big conference and he said he got really angry with the Lord because he'd been praying for 20 years. God, I want to see a miracle. God, I want somebody to be raised up. I want to see a, 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 you know, a, a healing, a miracle, something happen while I'm preaching. And nothing ever. I've never seen anything like that. And he got angry with God, and he was like, God, for 20 years I've been faithful. For 20 years I've prayed. For 20 years, why is there no miracle? Why, why, why aren't I seeing your power like I want to see it? He said, in the Bible they saw it. The building shook. And he said, God spoke to him, and he said, when you're reading in the New Testament and you see my power, they were sharing the gospel of Jesus under the threat of death. He said, you're preaching to a room full, full of Christians in air condition. He said, where's your risk? No risk, no power. You want powerful relationships? We want a powerful church. We've got to go deep in our fellowship. We've got to take a risk. Now, I've told you what we need to do, but here's how we do it. Here's how we do it. True fellowship is fueled by worship. It's fueled by worship. If you try to go out of here today and do the things I'm telling you to do in and of your own strength, it won't work. It won't work. You'll pull back at the last second. You won't go deep enough. You'll say too much, whatever it is, but we'll mess it up because we're people, right? I mess it up and I need to be guided by him. I got to get daddy involved. And so true fellowship 
is fueled by worship. Now, I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want you guys to take this the wrong way. Can y'all, can y'all listen carefully for a minute? We're, we're getting close to the close, and I know sometimes we're thinking about lunch. But I don't, want you to, I don't want you to hear this and misinterpret what I'm saying. Okay? This is important. We are not called to be daily devotioners. We're called to be worshipers. And I'm not downplaying devotionals, okay? So don't hear me wrong. We do a devotional here at Freedom House Church. I love the YouVersion app on my phone. I use it all the time. I'm not saying that devotionals are bad, okay? But here's the thing. Here's the truth. Devotionals can be made convenient. Worship is never convenient. You can't worship conveniently. And I'm going to show you why. John chapter 4, and this is verse 23, it says, But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. God is looking for worshipers. He's not looking for people who read for five minutes and do their little, you know, oh Lord bless my day, right? And again, you don't have, I'm not saying you've got to get up every day and read for three hours, okay? Devotionals are fine. But here's the difference. Here's the difference. Worship involves a surrendering of our will. You can have a daily devotional every single day of your life and never worship God one time. Worship goes deeper than that. And we can't expect supernatural power when we practice convenient Worship. Worship's not convenient. When you were dating your spouse, was it convenient? Did, did you call? I remember when, when Tammy and I, when I was pursuing her, I didn't, I didn't call her every now and again. Right? I pursued her. You guys know what I'm talking about. When you're in pursuit, you know what I'm saying? You're thinking about it. You're, you're all day and night. You're like, man, when can I see her? When can I call her? When can I take her out? When can I, right? You're thinking about that pursuit all the time. The Greek word for worship, it literally means to kneel down. It means to willingly surrender ourselves to God. And here's the truth about worship. True worship is always, always, always tied to obedience. It's always tied to obedience. We lose connection with God when we're disobedient. We never lose our relationship, but we cut off fellowship. Worship always, always entails obedience. John chapter 15, and this is verses 9 and 10. And this is Jesus speaking. He says, as the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, obedience. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Sound convenient? Worship means every day I'm getting up and I'm surrendering my heart and my will to God. 
It means every day God is going to challenge me to do things that I don't want to do, that I'm not comfortable doing. He's going to stretch me in ways that sometimes I don't want to be stretched. And I can just read a devotional and say my prayer and go on about my day. I can make that convenient, but I can never make worship convenient. It's going to cost me something. To wrap it up today, I want to share something with you that the Lord showed me years ago. Um, I was in a church service. I hadn't been married that long at the time, and the pastor was preaching on, on marriage out of Ephesians. You know, husbands, you love your wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. I think it's cool. As pastors and ministers, you know, we always beat on the husbands. Love your wives. You know, we don't talk about the women. Submit yourself too much. That get us in trouble. We got to go home too, you know. <laughs> Let me tell you. But but we're you know we're we're thundering away. And this pastor man, he was thundering away at the men. You love your wife. You say you love your wife, and you won't even let her watch on TV what she wants. And you want it. And man, he's just going at us. And I'm sitting here thinking I'm kind of wisecracking with God. And I'm like, God, that's not really a fair deal. I mean, I have to willingly lay down my life for her. And all she has to do is submit. Let her die. I'll submit. I mean, flip it, flip it around. I mean, really. I mean, I'm being honest. I, I was just sitting there. I was just kind of joking with God. And I was like, flip it around. Let her, you know, she lays down her life. I'll submit willingly. I'm okay. And... The Lord, with his great sense of humor, kind of spoke to me, and he said, he said, when you were pursuing Tammy, he said, why did you do it? What do you mean? And he said, well, you were willing to do anything. And I said, yeah. And I bought a diamond ring, man. I mean, I was willing to do anything. I didn't care what the cost, because, because why? God was like, why were you willing to do anything? Did you want her submission? No. I wanted her. And God spoke this to me. He said, that's why I did it. He said, I just wanted you. I just wanted you. It's all about relationship. God was willing to go to the cross. Why? Not because he wants your submission. Not because he wants you to pay your tithes or get in a life group or come to church so many times a month. No, God wanted an intimate, personal relationship with you. And I don't know about you, but my response to that kind of love cannot be convenient it cannot be convenient so God's calling us today to go deeper to take a risk and to unlock the true power that's sitting in this room today they will know we are Christians by our love one for another it's how I love you it's how we love each other can we do that church can we go deeper can we love harder I know I can I know I need to 
And if you would, just for a moment, bow your head and close your eyes. We're gonna wrap it up, but I don't wanna leave today without giving you a chance. Maybe you're new here. Maybe you've been to church your whole life, but you've never really accepted Christ 100%. It's like you've been on the outskirts, but you've never said, Jesus, I'm yours. You've never given him everything. And if that's you today and you would say, I want to make sure that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life. I want to make sure that I'm playing on his team, that he's God. I've given him the keys to the car. I've gotten out. I've moved over and he's in control. It's the easiest thing in the world. All you have to do, the Bible says, is put your faith and trust in him. He's already done the work. He's already been to the cross. He's already paid for every sin, every mistake you've ever committed. All you've got to do is put your trust in him. And if that's you today and you'd say, I'd like to receive Christ right now as my personal Lord and Savior, would you raise your hand right now? I see those hands. I see those hands all across the room. And we're just going to say a simple prayer because Jesus loves you and he wants to come into your heart today. So church, let's pray this together. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus. You love me before I loved you. You gave everything. I receive it right now. My faith and trust is in what you did on that cross. Be my Lord, be my savior, be my best friend. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks again for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe. And hey, if you want to find out more about our church or how you can be a part, go to freedomhouse.cc.